good. DVD. Well, we, yeah, we may, depending on time and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, I was going to show a couple of clips. Have y'all ever seen this movie, The Angel Share? It's a great movie. Of course, you know, this... Uh, well, it may, it may just be y'all. Um, but this is kind of one of those... It's a great... Um, it's a great movie, and it has some great... Uh, hey, we're just... Yeah, can, sorry, good to see y'all. Well, uh, yes, uh, although, you know what, I've uh, just, oh my gosh, and all my scrap, let me tell you, let me tell, I'm glad you, let me tell you all about my issues. Um, I'm just, I'm just remembering, um, I had this, I have this fabulous notepad that I have times written down of various portions uh, that I, that I hope to show you here. Um, have you, have any of y'all ever seen, I was just about to tell folks, um, you know, I always think this is a great idea to use these clips. Uh, and then I go back and I watch this movie and, you know, I'm like, well, you know, there needs to be a trigger warning um, for language. Um, this is kind of one of those. It's a it's a great movie. The Angel Share and really is uh, very much a story of, well, of, of reconciliation, of change, of hope, of, of redemption. But it's it's filmed in Glasgow uh, or that's the setting, I guess. And I guess a lot of it's filmed there as well. And, and it's very much a, a sort of gritty urban um, group of folks, and so the, the the language is exactly like what you would think, because um, you know no one uses that language in Birmingham. Um, so you know, I mean, it never it never happens here. Uh, but anyway, it, it kind of one of those. Uh, yeah, it seems like a great idea at the time, and then I'm thinking, hmm. Um, so anyway, that's your trigger warning. Um, you know, that's have y'all heard about that trigger warnings? That's the latest thing. I mean, it's. It's, I just think it's dumb, uh, in case you want to know my opinion. But it's basically, it's, it's a hot topic now uh, in some parts of the country, in some schools and universities, and that's basically where, as a student, you need to give me a trigger warning if I'm going to read something that I might disagree with um, or find upsetting. Um, then, then you need to provide me with a, a trigger warning because my sensibilities might be. And it's not, and, and here's the thing, it's not a matter of things which are, uh, which are obscene. It's it's a matter of sort of things uh, historic uh, and or opinions which which differ with yours. And so anyway, you can go uh, look up yeah trigger warnings. Uh, that's that's all the it's all the rage now. Um, so I heard years ago. This has nothing to do with my class, uh, but years ago when I was out in the diocese of Texas in Houston, we had a guy come and speak to us, and he was a sociologist from Rice University. And it was really it was it was very helpful, and the idea was for us to think about uh, evangelism and ministry. And and what he did is this: just describing, it was fascinating because things I didn't know, describing how various laws were put in place uh, over the years that affect things like, for instance, immigration, um, different things that allow you to jump to uh, the front of the line as far as immigration is concerned. But but his point was this: he said. If you want to know what your community is going to look like uh, in 10 years, basically you look at New York, look at L.A., look at Chicago, look at, at the big cities. And in many ways, they're, they're a preview. And obviously, that's 
it's not perfectly precise, but basically saying if you, you know, if you sort of want to know what's coming um, to a community near you, um, look to those places because they tend to be harbingers of, of that which is to come. So um, I just wanted to pick y'all up this morning. Um, do y'all feel encouraged um, after that? So anyway, that's right. You're welcome. Uh, you're welcome. Exactly. So so anyway, let us pray. Um, so. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks and praise that you have gathered us this morning, given us this opportunity to gather in your name, and we certainly pray that you would be in the midst of us as we're gathered now in your name. And and Lord, I very sincerely pray uh, that as always, not my word, but your living word would go forth, that you would, um, through this jar of clay, speak your living words Uh, the living word of Jesus, your son. And I ask this in his name. Amen. Well, a little bit about, uh, so the the title of the class, um, you know, they ask us, you know, a month or so out if we'll teach and you need to give them a title. Um, And so the true confessions, I give them a title because I need to, and then I'm thinking, well, we'll figure out what that class is. Um, So the title is um, uh, thinking about, but it's it's very uh, timely, and uh, Advent and Christmas are, uh, back to the future, and the reason back to the future is one of the things, and, and this is not necessary for salvation, uh, but one of the things that, that our church has is a liturgical calendar, and, and obviously that affects the prayers, the, the formal prayers that are prayed, it affects the lessons that are read, it, it affects the songs that, that are sung, and, and the whole, and, and the lectionary in and of itself is, is actually, I would say, a, a good thing. It's not perfect. There are pluses and minuses. But here's the plus of it. It keeps you from having us pick our favorite passage week after week after week and you know, basically focusing on the same thing week after Not that we would, but other clergy would. Um, you know, Not us, but um, we would never do that. So one, it, it, it moves us through the entirety of, of the Scripture as we read through um, the, the Scripture and its breadth. But also the idea behind the liturgical focus as well is focusing on different facets of our Lord's ministry, focusing on different facets of God's revelation to us. Uh, because obviously, um, you know, Jesus Christ is as Savior and Lord, and the way that that incarnation takes place, the way that that ministry takes place, the way that that revelation takes place, there's, there is a, a consistent truth, and, and yet um, something that, grand, that magnificent, there, there are facets to it. And so it helps us think about different facets of our faith. And Advent and Christmas are a time which I think are wonderfully out of step with, uh, with culture around us. This tends to be a time of, of often of anxiety in our lives. And I think a lot of that anxiety comes from expectations. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that um, this morning expectations, uh, you know, certainly that expectations that we project upon God, um, but also that the way that expectations can affect, um, hey, Casey, um, the way that expectations can affect our, our relationships. And, and we're going to talk a lot about uh, relationships this morning and some of the things, um, well, some of the facets of relationships uh, and some of the things that, that we can uh, that we can hope for and and look to. But, but Advent... Um, looks for the time when Jesus will come again, uh, when Jesus will come again um, to judge, yes, the living and the dead, but also when, when Jesus will come again to ultimately um, bring fulfillment, to ultimately fulfill um, all of the promises of God. And, and 
Uh, this is my opinion, so you're welcome to agree or disagree with me on, on this. But I think I, I take heart um, in that, not in any um, not in any dour or discouraged way, but with the realization that, that God has, you know, one of the things that Christmas makes known to us is that God is once and for all, he's intervened in the world. Uh, and he's defeated the powers of darkness. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness um, has not overcome it, as in the beginning of John's gospel. The, the darkness um, cannot um, overcome uh, the light of God which has shined into the world, the hope that has been given, the fact that the powers uh, of evil, of sin and death, have been defeated once and for all in Jesus' birth, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. I mean, so we get that, that final word um, that those powers have been defeated, um, and yet, uh, we, we also know the reality of sin and brokenness that still exist, um, and, and that which is very much not only broken in the world, but, but broken in you and me as well. Um, it's not just society. It's not just those people. that are, it are things that are, that are broken in you and me as well. And, and the fact that we have this hope, this longing, this expectation, which is, which is right and which is partially met, at least as far as salvation is concerned, that longing and that need has been met. Um, however, uh, in, in day-to-day life, there, there's much which is still broken. And, and to me, uh, a great deal of the hope and the certainty of Advent is to say, you know, um, I don't have to be the Savior. Uh, I don't have to be the final judge and jury. I don't have to be the final resolver and reconciler that God in his time will come. Uh, he, he will come, and he will put um, everything to write in that wonderful preface, which is prayed in our Eucharistic prayer, um, that talking about uh, when he comes, that we may without shame or fear rejoice to behold his appearing, um, that, that the hope and the certainty for you and for me is in the forgiveness we've received as a result of God's grace. Um, so all these thoughts uh, bouncing around um, in my mind and the ways in which God comes to reconcile us to himself, uh, but also um, the ways that we need that in our in our relationships. It's um, we had Advent lessons and carols. Did any of y'all have the opportunity to go to Advent? Not not the one here, but the day school Advent lessons and carols. Well, this is one of those. Yeah, thanks, Craig, for telling me now. Um, next year, um, they there there are three services: Thursday, Friday morning, Sunday afternoon, uh, and it's it is magnificent. Uh, just the 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 breadth of the carols and and what the children. Uh, do is absolutely uh, amazing. And of course, you have anywhere from the day school ensemble, which is, uh, I want to say it's fourth to eighth graders. That could be wrong, but it's it's amazing what they do week after week, and it's amazing what they do at Lessons and Carols. But of course, you also get the four-year-olds, you know, little gray donkey, clip-clop, clip-clop, uh, you know, so it's, it's, it's a home run all around. But I was really um, moved again uh, and I really, you know, it's, it had been a tough week for me that week. Uh, and the first Lessons and Carols was on Thursday. And I found myself sort of uh, choking up a little bit uh, because it was so beautiful. Uh, and it was such um, profound good news spoken to, um, you know, me, uh, a person that, that really needed to hear it uh, on that particular day. But, but also profound good news spoken to uh, a weary world because, you know, knowing what's going on in people's lives, thinking, you know, this is a, this is a message we deeply, desperately need to hear. And, and Lessons and Carols is really, uh, it's really powerful when you listen to it, when you see, because it, 
it 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 starts with the reality of the of, of original sin. Readings from Genesis. Adam lay bounden. Um, if y'all remember that particular carol, you know, bounden in a bond. Uh, talks about um, the the bond and the bind uh, of of sin and death. It, it and the the readings uh, from Genesis about Adam and Eve and the serpent and the um, the expulsion from the garden. It, it talks about all of that, and yet then it and it and it moves. Of course, to that light which comes into the world, the darkness's inability to overcome it. But it also um, speaks to, as well, in, in the wonderful carols, what is the reality of the Christmas story? We we want to sentimentalize it. I know I'm certainly guilty of that. But when you step back, I mean, it's 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 a gritty story um, about the love and the power and the mercy of God coming forth into a gritty world. Um, I mean, it's really it's a it's an amazing. Um, it's an amazing, amazing story uh, into the brokenness, into the estrangement, the division, the cynicism of this life and this world. Light uh, and hope come into all of that and, and perspective, which is given to us. Share a, a, a brief story as we as we begin to sort of look at and, and think about um, all of this uh, reconciliation and change. And I want to talk, I guess, a little practically as well about. How perhaps it's um, how it's played out in our lives, and, and I have zero reservation to say as I as I look out at, at you, and I know myself, y'all need this. Um, I mean, let me just say, y'all, y'all, because you know the reason I know that because you're in families, um, like like I'm in families. You have relationships, you have um, experiences, and 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 Lord have mercy. I mean, um, Paula years ago is kind of funny um she's funny sometimes um and uh she was we uh moved here to birmingham 14 years ago and we had always lived away from family and oftentimes 10 hours away we'd lived a great distance and we were so excited to come and have family all around us and and in large part it's been amazing but you know one day she said you know sometimes family's overrated um so you know it's like sometimes it's a real gift and other times you're like you know what Ten hours away sounds great. Um, you know, a little a little distance from this would be would be really really nice um, right now. But but we we live in relationships. I'll tell you a succinct story here. And can you ever believe a preacher when he says, "I'll tell you a succinct story"? Um, and just kind of one of the one of the first moments in my life when a a, a relationship in my life. I was really seen in the light of the gospel uh, and the light of the good news which is given to us. And it was, um, and I've shared this on numerous occasions because it really is one of those very, very powerful moments in my life. It was summer between freshman and sophomore year at the Citadel. Um, I hated um, the Citadel that uh, partic- that first year. I mean, it was just like, what have what have I done? It was it was awful um i mean it was just awful awful um it's you know it's a it's a military school that fourth class system is that entire first year it's an intentionally harsh uh, environment and they the joke is they take away all your rights and gradually give them back to you and call them privileges um so it's a you know it's a we called it a maximum security college it was uh, it was a challenging place and in the midst of all of that, I'm 18 at the time, I had broken uh, my foot, so I had to sit out the majority of the soccer season. The one thing I looked forward to, uh, I couldn't do. My girlfriend, Paula, was away in school in another state. 
um, and my paternal grandfather that I adore died. Um, so it's like, you know, I mean, in, in an 18-year-old's life, everything that could go wrong um, went wrong. And, and part of the blessing of the civil experience as well is they, I don't know that they have any uh, idea of theology in mind, uh, but it's a death and resurrection experience. I mean, you you die to the old self. They they take away everything that you knew. I mean, literally, they, they shave your head. You wear uniforms. I mean, it's, you know, everything who you were back in the day, um, you don't want them to hear who you were back because they then bring that up. Uh, so, you know, you're, it's a new uh, creation. All that by way of saying I totally tanked uh, my grades that first year. I mean, it was um, awful. Um, it, and so as a result, uh, I was invited to go to summer school. And, and But, you know, it's a shocker. Uh, but... But here's the great thing about it is you actually got to live off campus. So um, it turned out to be a great thing. My buddy, uh, David Aycock and I, we played on the soccer team together. We got an apartment downtown King Street and we were free and it was awesome and loved it. We took a road trip down to Florida to see some pals of mine. I crashed my car and somehow managed to limp the car back um, to Charleston, at which point it was not drivable um, anymore. And this is going to tell you a lot about my neuroses and that, uh, shockingly, tomorrow was always a better day to tell my dad. Uh, Mom and dad live in Atlanta, and so tomorrow was going to be a better day to tell dad about what I'd done. And, uh, you know, tomorrow was always a, a better day. And, and it was, I mean, it was bizarre, my avoidance of having to tell dad what I had done. And we lived two miles from campus, and so I would I would walk, I would ride the city bus, I would uh, ride my bike to get to classes, and it came time, mom and dad came to visit, uh, and uh, they showed up, our apartment was, I don't know, maybe it was a quarter of this room, if, you know, it was a little teeny tiny place, so it didn't take long to go on the apartment tour, and um, he said, son, where's your car? And I can remember walking out uh, with Dad to my car and bracing myself. And here was the challenge is that, well, there were numerous challenges and all this. But one, I mean, I had no, I had nothing. You know, it's the whole, you know, when you're looking for excuses or reasons. I mean, I had nothing other than I was completely irresponsible and I haven't told you about it. And, I, you know, guilty, guilty guilty. I had nothing um, to offer. And I remember, and I can visualize it still as we're there and this, the wheel was turned uh, in and it was, it was an old car. So it was one of those, you know, it was totaled. Um, and uh, dad looked at the car and he, and he looked at me and he, and he just, he, he shook his head and he said, son, why didn't you tell me about this sooner? I could have done something about this. Uh, and I remember being and even to this day, so you know, moved by that. Son, why didn't you tell me about this sooner? I could have done something uh, ab about this. And, and, you know, the reason I say it was one of those first, and I'm loving parents, I mean, great, very wildly imperfect uh, parents. We, uh, uh, case in point, I mean, mom and dad are awesome, but at the same time, you know, they're as clueless as Paul and I are as parents. Uh, we laughed one day, we're at it was a holiday, and my sisters and I were gathered around the table, mom, dad, etc. And they were saying, you know, because we, dad was what I called corporate army, and we'd move about every three years to a new place. And dad said, you know, we moved all the time. It never bothered y'all. Uh, we said, well, you just, 
we're glad that's working for you, Dad. <laughs> so I mean, they're you know they're like any other parents. They're partially clueless, partially wonderful, and and all in between. But what I remember so powerfully about that, and why it really shed light on the gospel, was this. I mean, I stood there. It wasn't just the fact that I was um, guilty before Dad, but one of the things that that was interesting about the experience, and why I think it really sheds light on um, our relationship with God, and as we talk about reconciliation and change, the reason I'm going through all of this is it necessarily begins um, with our relationship with God. Um, That reconciliation that, that needs to... Um, take place with God and the way that that changes our heart and the way that that frees our heart powerfully uh, colors our relationships with other people. Uh, when, when, we, when we get the gospel, there, there's a tremendous power for that to begin to have an impact and an effect in our lives and our relationships and our ability to let go and, and our ability to forgive and our ability to love and our ability um, to give. It's, it's a necessary component. In that moment with my dad, um, I was, one, I was guilty, and, and rather than judgment, I received mercy. Uh, and and that's, that's a story throughout the scripture um, that, that, and I pray that gets deep, deep, deep within each of our hearts and our spirits when we recognize that we're people that, that deserve judgment but have received mercy uh, and grace and restoration instead. Uh, that's that's a powerful component for change and reconciliation in our lives. But the other thing, uh, a, a couple of other things, one of the other things is that uh, Dad could uh, and did fix and resolve the situation, but it came at a cost to himself. Um, he, you know, I, I didn't, I couldn't pay for it on my own. Um, yeah, shockingly, I didn't have the money um, to, to to pay for that myself. And and Dad resolved it, but again, it was it was at a cost to himself. Uh, it was it was free to me uh, at a, at a cost to him. And and that too was part of the message of the gospel is that this mercy and this restoration, this forgiveness that we're given, is is at a cost to God. Um, obviously, it's in the blood of Jesus. It's in the passion uh, and and the suffering of God that this reconciliation between us takes place. And and God gladly, willingly assumes the cost that we can't pay uh, of our own. And I could say a lot more, but the last thing I want to say is this, is um, as we think about reconciliation and change, and something I want to say to us is, is this, is in that need and that good longing and that desire for reconciliation and change in our lives, we need to understand that we have an enemy. Uh, we, we have an enemy in the devil that, that doesn't desire for that to happen. Uh, in, in yours in my life. Uh, and, and I want to talk a little bit about, um, I know it's always, I mean, who can win? You can't win uh, when, the, when the kids go by. <laughs> well, I'll just kind of pause for a minute, exactly. It's, whenever I've been down here, you always know when the kids go cruising by. <laughs> hey, exactly. I'm just like, you know what, let's all pause. Because... Um, but you know the other the other interesting thing was uh, was this is that um, the uh, as I say our, our enemy uh, and and the devil is called uh, the devil the Satan the is called by a number of different names but one of them is the accuser um, which I think is a wonderful uh, well it's a sort of a terrible wonderful uh, accurate would be a more accurate adjective it's a, it's an accurate 
description, the, the, the accuser. And, and one of the things that he loves, because one of the things that was going on when I, again, you know, it's kind of goofy. I, it's a car, for goodness sakes. And yet, um, it, it had caused a separation and a distance between my father and myself. Um, you know, I called less. Um, I, I avoided um, I avoided him. I, I ran from him. Here's a person that loves and cared for me, but because of my guilt, because of my shame, because of my desire not to admit what had, what had happened, it, it put a wedge in that relationship and it distanced us from um, one another. And uh, in his forgiveness and his paying that debt and his wiping away, that, that wedge was removed, that distance was uh, taken away. We were, you know, we were restored in our relationship. But one of the things that, and I, you know, this happens again and again in my in my life, is that the accuser um, likes to isolate us. Uh, and so one of the things is you think about your life, uh, as you think about your relationships, as you think about, um, you know, desires to change and be and be uh, different, is that. Um, he loves to isolate us with with shame. Uh, he loves to isolate us um, with guilt. Uh, he loves to um, pull us away from other people where he can then feed that uh, those negative, destructive uh, emotions. Not to say we should never feel guilt. God, you know, God reveals things to us as well and calls us to repentance. But but you know what I mean. And if it's if it's that which isolates you, if it's that which pushes you away from other people, if it's that which leads you to hide, um, then that's that's destructive. And that's that's one of the tools which he which he uses. I mean, talking about ways that we know when when he's when we're being led by him rather than led by God. Another way when it comes to reconciliation and change, um, and I can. Um, Listen, I can I can do it as well as the best of them. When we nurse grudges, uh, do any of y'all ever nurse grudges? Have, have any of y'all, you know, slights and uh, and the ways in which you've been wronged um, or overlooked uh, or you know how could that happen to a person like me? Um, why don't they you know why don't they um, notice me? Why don't they care for me? Why don't they do this for me? Why don't they not do that? And 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 the way that we um, more often than not, quietly nurse grudges um, toward toward other people. It's a it's a wonderful tool that he loves to use um, to push us away from one another and and to and to you know uh, and and to uh, lead us to despair um, rather than um, to hope. And uh, kind of a little word of sort of practicality. And this is. Um, goes to relationships as well. And it doesn't have to be marriage. Uh, it can be whatever. Relationships with parents, with co-workers, with family, with, with friends. Uh, you get the picture. Uh, sort of a, a, across the board. One of the challenges in relationships as well is, is often, uh, well not often, we do. We all bring expectations. Uh, we, we bring expectations into life and, and we bring expectations into relationships. And, and what, ha- what can happen is, is this. And again, I, I think it's a, it's, it's a tool of the accuser. Is, you know, here's how typically, uh, you know, often in marriage expectations are, are, are played out. I'm going to say just as easily in, in family or friendships or, or with coworkers. And, and that is this. Um, I have expectations 
um, but I don't tell you um, what they are, right? Uh, because then that would ruin the surprise. Um, if, I, if I told you, I have these expectations, and the reason I'll tell you is because they're so obvious. I mean, how could you not know what my expectations are? And here's what, ha- here's what happens then, is when you don't meet my expectations, I'm disappointed. Um, and and uh, then uh, when I'm disappointed, what do I do? I blame. Um, you, know, you know, the expectations are silent, they're not spoken, uh, and they're not met, and I'm disappointed. Uh, and then uh, I, I, you, we um, blame the other person. And then uh, after we blame the other person, usually silently, um, then we blame them personally, um, and we present our expectations as demands. Um, and let me ask you, how well has that worked out for you? Um, in, in your in your relationships, uh, and it's this whole sort of cycle. You know, I have this expectation, it's not met. Uh, I'm disappointed, I blame, I demand. And then what happens in that is that basically it it pushes us into trench warfare. Um, we we retreat from we retreat from one another. Um, we you know we we push back. Uh, we go into these trenches. And in trench warfare, does either side want to come up? No, it's kind of like, are you kidding me? I don't want to be the one to 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 risk to stand up to make uh, to make the motion toward uh, and uh, addressing it, the motion toward uh, reconciliation, because I don't want to be hurt. Um, and and it's one of the ways that that we're pushed away um, from one another. I'm, I'm going to pause there a second. Any any comments y'all have about anything I've I've said so far? Yeah, it, it, yeah. I mean, you know, um, it, 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 yeah. I was gonna say, and you know, here's the thing too. Um, and to some degree, we're gonna be there again. Um, yeah, we, we, we have been there, and I don't mean that in any sort of like, well, well. Um, but in the sense of, yeah, we're we're not gonna cease to be human. Um, so uh, it, it's a it's a challenge, uh, it's a challenge for us. Um, and so with all of that said, what 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 do we do with that? Um, where's, you know, where is, uh, where is hope? Where is good news in the midst of, of all of that? And I, and I go back to, um, and I'm looking, I may continue this and show, uh, we'll see if I can get some of the clips, uh, uh this, this time, or, or we'll show those, uh, uh, next week if, if you're able to make it and you may not, um, but, uh, you can go and, and, and see it, uh, and see it on your own. I have a few different, uh, scriptures uh, to speak to because again I, I really profoundly believe this uh, ability to live in relationship with one another in ways that are um, in, in ways that are steadfast in ways that are charitable uh, in, in ways that that are loving uh, that wells up from our realization of, of what we have received from God uh, and the reconciliation that he has made possible and the ways in which he both desires and does um, free us. And I'm going to read a, f- a, a few, and, and good grief, I, there's, there's a lot um, that I could read. But, but one is um, 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5. That's actually, um, not that you asked, um, but uh, 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, uh, that, that's one of my sort of, favorite portions of, of scripture. It's really, really uh, rich. Uh, and 2 Corinthians 4 is that great 
we have this treasure in jars of clay to know that this all-surpassing power comes from God and not from us. And I, I find that very encouraging to say, okay, it's God's power, not not my power. But it, and then also in this, and this is when Paula with Paula's accident um, a year ago, it was one of those verses. Where it says, you know, I'm I'm pressed, but I'm not. We're pressed, but not crushed. We're persecuted. We're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Um, and and for you and for me, that that we can say that with. With, with certainty, um, not because of who we are, but because of who God is. Oh, that is profoundly, profoundly in- encouraging because all of us in our lives are also going to experience that uh, in some shape or fashion uh, in, in any number of ways. But but it goes on and it talks about in 2 Corinthians 5 uh, and well in 4 how we don't lose heart uh, because God is at God is at work when we can see it clearly and when we cannot. But 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Here's why that's good news. We've been people who've been reconciled and loved and forgiven, and we've been given that ministry not as a burden, but as a way of freedom to say, you know, we don't actually have to. And, and as I talk about all this, it doesn't mean that we can't, we need to name hurts. I mean, if, if we're going to be truly reconciled with one another, if we're going to experience change, we, we have to name hurts. It's not saying pretend it doesn't matter or that you don't care or that it doesn't have an effect because it does. And, and part of the whole reconciliation is, is being honest and, and, and addressing things. But here's the amazing freedom. And it doesn't also mean there, there exists you know, uh, abusive and destructive relationships. It doesn't mean that you don't, sometimes you have to remove yourself from those settings or those relationships. So uh, I sort of want to carefully say, as I say all this, it, it, there are exceptions or not exceptions. There, there, there are times in which you have to draw back from um, things and draw back from situations which are, which are beyond our ability to control and to fix uh, and to resolve. But, but here's the amazing news is, is this, is that, We've been people who've been loved and forgiven and reconciled, so we don't have to have the job of judge and jury. Uh, we can be people who are loved and forgiven and have strength and certainty and contentment in that, uh, and, and, it, and it frees us up to live in relationship with other people. It frees us up to forgive and let go, knowing, you know, ultimately God has forgiven a debt that I can never pay, uh, and, and it invites the possibility of my giving to other people um, without a demand for a particular return. It gives us the opportunity to, to begin to love other people. It gives us the opportunity to begin to let go of the end result, trusting and knowing that God will bring a better end result than you and me, uh, trying to white-knuckle it uh, to whatever conclusion we're sure uh, is is best. Two more, and then we're at, well, one more, maybe, uh, and we're out of here. we got to get out of here. Um, uh, so... Uh, Colossians, uh, there's Romans 5 was, I'll just sort of tell you, Romans 5 was one of the ones, hey, go and read it and check it out. Um, Ephesians 1 and 2, rich, 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 talking about how God is uh, and is, is rich in mercy. Um, lastly, this, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This is talking about Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross and you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death 
in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Uh, we're, we're people who have been reconciled to God, washed by God uh, through the blood of Jesus. Uh, people who are able to be full and content uh, and at peace in a way in which nothing else can give us and that can begin to give us uh, a hope and a certainty in our relationships for the future, knowing that God is, is alive and at work um, to reconcile the world to himself, to reconcile us to one another, and invite you along with me to prayerfully find our strength in him uh, and allow him to direct and guide those relationships in our lives. And, and let me pray. Father, thank you that you've gathered us. I'm so very grateful for those uh, gathered here and pray that you would give the, the blessing of your, of your peace and your presence in our lives and in our relationships, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.